Welcome to the Dadvocate podcast, discussing, promoting and supporting all things dad in love, life, parenting, marriage, divorce and everything in between and after. I'm a devoted father and I was married to a narcissist for 10 years. I've spent the last five years fighting against an outdated legal system and an even more outdated social one. My daughters have been used as weapons to emotionally blackmail me, extort money from me and punish me for daring to leave my marriage. I want to support other fathers and parents in my position and promote fathers as being just as important as mothers in a child's life. I want to challenge some of the social norms and stereotypes that lead to experiences like mine and raise awareness about narcissism. So if you feel like you might be in an abusive or narcissistic relationship or feel like you're fighting against the system just to be in your child's lives, then please have a listen to my story. I know how hard and demoralising it can be, but I won my equality as a father and freed myself from a narcissist. And if I can do it, so can you. Hi and welcome to episode three of the Dadvocate podcast. In this episode we are discussing the events, feelings and the process of separation and what led up to it as well as the logistics of the divorce, childcare and finances as a follow-on from our previous episode last week which was explaining all of the things that sort of led up to the point of divorce but we're going to go into a bit more detail about the events that sort of uh, surrounded why you why you ended up divorcing and what led to the separation and hopefully go into a bit of detail about the whole uh, process art thereafter. First of all, welcome back uh, to all of our listeners and let's get this episode underway with the first question. What was the lead up like to you guys finally calling it quits? So I think we probably ought to go back a, a little bit further into the probably about three years plus uh, into the marriage. For what I experienced at the time, because bear in mind at the time I didn't know that my um, ex was a narcissist. So back then, how it felt to me was there was a general drop off in affection, nice general niceness, if you like, and that kind of fits in well to the social stereotypes um, that that I think we've alluded to before in maybe episode one, where you know films, television, comedy shows all talk about this image of husband and wife that that don't like each other anymore they bicker you don't have sex with each other anymore that's just the way it is so that that it it kind of fitted with the social stereotypes if you like but what I also started to notice was just the unpleasant side of my ex so but you often put that down to tiredness and young children Um, you're also made to think that it's you that causes that society the, the sort of social norm is that that's the way it is so you end up trapping yourself in this this situation yeah absolutely. Um, I remember I don't know if you've ever seen it there were two films one was I think knocked up and the sequel was called this is 40 a married couple they are they're great but but yeah. that this is 40 you think about what that what what expectations that gives you of marriage in your 40s I and mean, it is that you don't like each other anymore that you know you do find each other a pain that, the, that I think in that film the husband goes out cycling to get away from his wife and 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 so you you think this is it um so it all kind of drops off a cliff but you kind of res- I just resigned myself to it being one of those marriages other friends had were in mar- had been marriages like that as well it's just that's it you just accept it and I could never have contemplated leaving at that point um for many reasons again society expects you to stay in a marriage um, work at it people tell you oh well it is hard sometimes all that kind of thing but I was obviously deeply unhappy uh, and so 
and I felt like she didn't respect me and there was no affection and that and that she didn't respect me and, and to be honest with you I probably didn't respect her either and so about three years before we split up an opportunity to have sex with someone else presented itself um, yeah. and I did and I did it and I felt terrible about it it should have been the red flag I needed, but unfortunately, it only acted to further keep me in this unhappy marriage because I beat myself up about it. I was racked with guilt. And guilt's a really funny thing. So you, I, I vilified myself and exonerated my ex, if you like, in my mind. And so, whereas that well, should yeah. have... I suppose if you're feeling guilt, then you're sort of on edge about all of their negative behaviour, sort of thinking that you deserve it in some kind of way, even though... Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's how narcissism works as well, because you're made to feel like you're to blame for everything. So, so although I didn't know that's what was going on, that obviously was what was going on, but equally... Um, I think a lot of people, I, I would imagine a lot of people that perhaps have an affair instead of just admitting that they're unhappy and should leave uh, a, a, an, un an unhappy relationship probably do this. And, and you end up almost being reinvigorated, if you like, um, because you have taken on all this guilt. You're the bad person. It's your fault that it felt the way it did. And now you can make it better. They obviously don't know about it, but but that's what happens. Um so it almost made me more devoted to stay in this really dysfunctional relationship. Um, That's crazy, yeah. Absolutely. But because uh, I did get found out um, and literally all, all hell broke loose. And you'd think that, if anything, this was the opportunity for me to escape. Um, but because I was already wrapped with guilt um, and then that sort of fed into the understandable reaction of my ex, um, it sort of fueled the lowering of my self-worth even further um right. and so when when she actually forgave me the relief i felt of not having my life fall apart and it, it was the life i was looking back on it now it was the children it was where we would live if we split up it was my parents involvement the logistics of how it would work none of it was actually oh my god i love you know I love my wife at the time yeah it, it was, was it was that, all to that, do with the the sort of external stuff beyond your relationship that you wanted yeah, to protect yeah and I, and I dare say that it's that that keeps a lot of people in those kind of situations you are trapped by your circumstance if you like and so when she forgave me there was this huge relief that I'd totally forgotten why why I did it in the first place. Um, and I was completely lassoed back in. And I'd also given her the biggest stick ever with which to beat me in the future. So for what? the next two to yeah. three years, every time I did something wrong, that was the reason why it was you did that. I, I, I'm, you know, she was, if she was being really unkind, it was because of that. And, and so that was it. I was, I was well and truly back in. Wow. I mean, uh, so just to sort of go back to the narcissism, obviously, we're going to go into further detail about narcissism um, in the future. But just in terms of how that what was the forgiveness like? Was it was it from a genuine place? Well, I think I think the, the thing you always got to remember in narcissists is that it's not a conscious act. They're their narcissism is is not conscious. Their manipulation is not conscious. It's just what they do. So she forgave me because it it probably meant that she had subconsciously she then had control over me again um she was in control of the whole situation it made her feel powerful of course yeah. i 
incredibly subservient to her. So it, it ticked all the all the narcissism boxes, if you like. So f- from from both both points of view, I don't think she didn't forgive me thinking that's great. Now I've got him. It just made her feel powerful, which fed into that's the narcissism. Right. I see. OK. And so and so what happened was for six months, she was really nice to me. She was very different. Um, it, it was actually um, it was weird. It was like right back maybe at the beginning of the relationship. But of course, that's love bombing. That's what they do. It's, it was like yeah. almost starting the relationship again. And it's another way of getting you back in. They feel great doing it to you. You feel as the receiver like something has ma- completely changed. But again, it, it's 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 t- typical narcissist um, behaviour. And, and I was com- completely fooled. But actually... I don't think I was because I think I knew something still wasn't right. And I think this was the point at which a bit of a journey started for me. So she blamed me for all of it. And I and I completely took it because I would yeah. have taken any explanation for why I did that. Because I felt terrible. It's it's not the sort of person I am. So I took any explanation. You know, I would have taken anything that was suggested to me. So she suggested that I was mentally ill. So we, or, or you know, have it depressed. So we ended up going to a therapist. But because she viewed it as as holding my hand when we went to see this therapist, and then right. she didn't come anymore, and I was in this therapy. But actually, what happened was the therapy was kind of the key to my awakening because it started to raise my self-worth um, and the confidence that had sort of been taken away from me and so I started to notice the things that probably I did know but I'd buried so I started to notice that she's quite an angry person I noticed that she she was she used to shout a lot and was really critical of everybody and things and I think things that a lot of other people now in, say to me that they all, all knew, but they just assumed I didn't mind. But I think it was that side that I didn't like that I'd buried um, and it was starting to, to resurface and, and I didn't like it. And I did put a great deal of effort in trying to be thoughtful, trying to do better. And, and the therapist suggested things to do because she didn't. She um, barely ever met her. So didn't obviously get to see this this side of her. And then I think suddenly there came a point where I just gave up I just stopped was that, was, was, so, so was that uh, you gave up with sort of going to therapy or did you give up with I uh, the... to go to therapy but just gave up um self-sacrificing myself and trying so the thing is you no matter how hard you try you can never we were in that part of the relationship where I could never please her it was she was back to being angry, unhappy, critical person, and it's tiresome. And, I, and from whatever happened through the therapy, I stepped up a bit or stepped away from that or stepped above that a bit. And so I got to a point where I'd almost decided that I was sort of done in my head, but I couldn't leave because it was too financially complex to leave. It was yeah. logistically complex to leave society tells you that it's bad for children and so I decided to be the devoted father I was but I would just stop putting the effort in and constantly you know flagging myself to death to to be what was my ex wanted to me to be that day and again this is the thing with narcissism is they do not have something they want you to be like a consistent 
um, idea. They just want you to be, could say today they want you to be this and you could be that. But then the next day it'd be something else because they're the not interested. The is always changing. Absolutely, always moving the goalposts. And so I would actively avoid her. Um, I'd find things to do with, with the kids on my own. And I just saw myself as being trapped um, in this marriage. The only thing worse than staying would be leaving. Um, like I said, it was financially complex, logistically complex. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, then... and so so was this, so like you said, it was sort of about six months after she found out about you uh, sleeping with somebody else. You you were trying really hard, started going to therapy. And then after the love bombing or, the, you know, the, the change that you saw, that's when you started to pull back because she started to stop the love bombing and uh, vice versa you just both so, uh, sort of started to go back to the the old habits that you were once in yeah I, I mean it certainly it, it was probably maybe it maybe it was a year 18 months later but yeah the love bombing had long stopped and I'd been through another cycle of and, and I think I knew that something was wrong and I was on a bit of a a bit of a journey to find out what was wrong and so I tried looking everywhere. I'd looked, I'd, we'd looked at our relationship together and, you know, I'd almost been told that wasn't the problem. So then the problem was inside me. And so in the therapy, I went, dug very deep in, inside myself. And what actually came out of that was probably how I didn't have a huge amount of self-confidence anymore. I didn't respect myself. And so that actually kind of led me up to the point where I realised that it wasn't me, um, that that it was that I was deeply unhappy. Um, and then I think one day, probably about six, seven months before we split up, I think I woke up and it, almost like an epiphany moment. I remember it. I just woke up and I was done. Yeah. Um, and I, it was it was a watershed moment for me. I was suddenly free. It, it it was like being given the answer to a puzzle you could never solve and and i don't it was just that was it and I, and i think what happened is that the um it had reversed in my head the only thing worse than leaving was staying that is an epiphany moment yeah um the the problem with that is that i i think i i now knew how difficult it would be to leave i knew how hard she would fight um and also, like I said, things were kind of financially complex and logistically complex. So I actually, from, from a point of view of um, trying to look after us all and make provision for us all, I, I set about trying to simplify that, sort things out, paying off bills, making sure that mortgages were and things like that and I know her view of it is that I was being deceitful and going behind her back and she'll never acknowledge that actually if I hadn't done some of that it would have been far worse than it was oh but right so, so this was sort of on the lead uh, towards the lead up of you deciding yeah. to actually get divorced you you started making sort of uh, provisions for for it knowing that you know her narcissism and her her personality type would make things logistically a lot different yeah. more difficult so, so at this point, I still didn't know she was a narcissist, but I knew how difficult it would be to leave. So it was like planning a prison break. Um, I had to make sure that that everything was robust and all all the all the bases were covered and eyes dotted and t's eyes uh, dotted and t's cro crossed because I knew if I, if it didn't, she would be impossible to leave because of how she was and and. 
so I knew something was wrong. I knew that that she was difficult, but I, I didn't still hadn't had this sort of um, definition given to me, if you like. So, yeah, about six months before we separated, I just set about trying to make it as easy as possible to leave. So like the, literally like planning the, the prison break, prison break. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and then I remember I, I went to talk to my therapist and um, she I walked in and you usually have that sort of slight five minute chat. How's it going, etc. And she said to me, what's happened and I said oh well why did you say that and she said because you are so different and I said I've decided to leave and she said to me I wondered when you'd say that oh wow so 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 your therapist knew that it was yeah and I think she knew that's where it was going but it was up to me to find it myself so she sort of did nothing more than facilitate my I don't know self-discovery if you like um and so we decided that I would would take my ex to a, a joint therapy session and that's where I'd say I wanted to leave because even then I think I knew she wouldn't accept it if I said I wanted to leave and I needed almost an advocate. So that kind of leads me on to the next part of the of my next question and that is but it was who initiated the actual separation so like you said you your plan was to go to this uh, therapy session with somebody else there to sort of witness and uh, you know be a mediator for it but it it was it was in fact you that initiated the the final decision uh, yeah or... so yes yes it was I mean it was my plan to leave I, I was I was done and I was completely gone and had planned it not not in a deceitful way so it wasn't nice it was just I knew that it, everything had to be robust in order for me to be able to successfully get away um, and I'd even pressure tested my um, reasons for leaving with I confided in four very good friends individuals that I knew would challenge me because you you it's all very well deciding you want to do something but sometimes I think it's quite good to challenge your um, your actions or, or your behavior so I, I spoke to other friends and yeah they pushed me quite hard on are you sure do you realize what this will be like um, and it, it sort of validated it for me in a way um it's probably just the way i am seeking but yeah so i decided i was going to leave but what happened was she obviously it was must have been written all over me and also bear in mind that i had totally withdrawn from our relationship if you like we were two adults living in the same house parenting children but there was i was no longer trying and bear in mind the narcissist needs you to be subservient to them needs you to that you you supply them and i'd cut off the supply and so so, so uh, i i feel like you you probably if you are a narcissist you probably do notice that quite quickly because it's part yeah. of your need yes and that's i think had i been deceitful i would have still been feeding that but i wasn't i, I was being truthful by stopping it i didn't realize what i was actually i was cutting off narcissist supply i just was i'm not i'm not running around after you yeah. having you treat me like shit and me thanking you for it that's what i'm not doing anymore and so so she challenged me on it um and um it was uh, christmas eve and i'd been out in we'd been out for the day with the kids and then in the evening we were going to go down the pub once the kids were in bed and you know, my dad and i put our coats on and we were going and she said she didn't want to go and i knew at that point i think i was fucked um, right but 
we went down the pub anyway. So uh, <laughs> went down the pub and had a really good night out with some old school friends. Um, and I think I came home about midnight-ish, half midnight from the kebab shop. Ate the mince pies, ate the carrots. Next, <laughs> a glass of whiskey that, that had been left for Santa. Of course. <laughs> uh, and I remember getting into bed and just as I put the light out I think it was midnight 47 because I think that's what the time on my phone was she challenged me and said what's going on and I tried to bat the question away and be dismissive of it and she pushed me she sort of started to needle me about it and I think either a a combination probably just a combination of being a bit intoxicated if you like I I said I want to separate I'm done and you wonder in your head when you've planned to do these things what it's going to be like I mean I can't remember what it's like breaking up with anybody and even then I've probably never broken with up with anyone from a really serious relationship so it's pretty serious and you have this moment of did I just say that did I yeah and once once you've said it it's out there the words are out in the world but you can never unsay them no um and so that was it. I mean, it was like pressing the nuclear button. Um, it's probably worse than I thought it was going to be. Um, I think it helped being drunk. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might not have happened at that moment if you weren't drunk, but the no, alcohol sure helped. So. Once yeah, the... yeah I, think, I think she raged at me for the rest of the night. I, don't, I certainly slept. At, probably I think I just fell asleep, but I'm pretty sure she was still... Not shouting at me because it was shouting whispers. Because bear in mind there was kids in the house. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. Uh, and this was all on Christmas Eve. Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Christmas wow. Eve. So it was broken by the kids coming in five, whatever, with stockings. Um, and all I remember is the feeling of relief that I'd done it, and I was yeah. I was gone, and it was like. Um, I don't know it's like Hussein Bolt off the blocks or something I was I was gone and I was so determined by the time I'd got to this point that I and and people sort of said oh well maybe why don't you you know give it another go and I was absolutely not I am never going back into this marriage no matter what she does there's nothing she can do to get me back in yeah Um, which which I have subsequently been told by a sort of therapist that I now see that it's quite unusual for a, a, um, a victim of narcissist abuse not to be lassoed back in. Um, and obviously, like I was previously, which is why I think I was so determined not to be, although I didn't know it, but that's, I think, probably why I was so determined this time. Well, I mean, that I feel like that's probably a big part of why therapy is so good for people because, you know when you talk about your feelings and you know you're actually honest with somebody who's sort of uh, separate from your life and isn't going to have sort of an emotional burden from you offloading it gives you a lot more self-worth and makes you realize who you really are and what you really need so I'm I mean I don't want to put words in your mouth and say that the therapy is what led you to that point but I'm sure having therapy probably gave you the self-confidence to make the decision and stick with it absolutely yeah I think it it like I said, I think when I first started going, it was a bit of a, a journey of self-discovery for me. And I think it was definitely what what released me from that period. Um, and then subsequently, the therapist that I now see is is who really um, helped me to to realise that about the narcissism. And it, and it gave me a lot of answers um, and it explained a lot of the behaviour. And it was like being given 
the code to crack the maze, the, the unsolvable maze, if you like, which is what trying to deal with a narcissist is when you don't know what they are. Yeah, when you know absolutely. what they are, you can then learn that there are just arguments there's no point in having, there's battles you can't win. But when you don't know, you will drive yourself insane going around in circles with the goalposts or the or reframing of the argument every time, thinking, how am I, how am I never getting anywhere? And that's why. Yeah, absolutely. And and so obviously, like the next day was Christmas Day. D- did you just sort of have to go about the day as if it was a normal day for the sake of the kids? Or was there like, you know, was it just was it was it a hard day? Like, I just feel like the day after you make that decision and you the words have said have been said, it must be like a completely different day to any other. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously not a normal Christmas day if there is such a thing. But um, it. I think initially there was a lot of grinning and bearing it. There was a lot of hushed, angry words um, when when there were quiet moments. Um, the, the children were pretty young. They were quite a distraction, if you like, for everybody, because bear in mind there was quite a few people, family members there and things. But about mid-morning, um, she uh, put the dog in the car and uh, drove off um, and left me with the kids and she oh, wow. went home and packed up every possession I had um, into bin bags. Um, oh my god no. Yeah 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 it was it was like you know it was about a year after that um, Dr Foster drama came out on the BBC and I almost it was like her enact, acting out a scene from that it, it was it was a very one of those I'm going to throw his things out and that's what she did um and so my dad had to go over and get them get the stuff and we hid it in the garage so the children didn't know but the 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 thing I the thing that struck me about it was there was never a thought for the kids in any of that um she she left them she didn't speak to them she didn't tell them anything she didn't speak to them again that day so yeah, I may have said oh, you know, wasn't feeling very well, and children are slightly inherently selfish when they're small, and it's all about Father Christmas. And yeah, if you've got like a that. shiny toy, you're not going to yeah. notice. <laughs> so I don't think they noticed, but I was always very surprised at, at that side of it. But it was it it was all about it was a house grab basically was what it was. So it was about evicting me from her house in her mind that was going to be hers and well I mean that that really that really is like you know not even 24 hours after not even sort of calling off and letting it yeah 11 hours not even you know not even a day after you've actually said it and you know you probably should have you were probably due like a calm conversation where you were both level-headed but 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 rather than doing that it's just like nope gonna put all your stuff in a bin bag and yeah, and, and there's no such thing as a calm conversation with a narcissist anyway that's that's having a rage. There, there is no such thing. So I, I remember sort of thinking that she's fantasised about what she would do if this moment came. And, and I felt like she just played out that fantasy. So she, she'd obviously thought, you know, I'm going to go pack his stuff up, bin bags and suitcases, and, and this is the way it's going to be. And she just did it. Um, yeah. And that was that. Um, 
and it was all very strange to be honest and of course this is the first time I hadn't told my parents before this that I was planning any of this um I don't think they were surprised um right so they, they probably knew it was coming at some point or yeah they... I think so well they certainly knew something was up um I don't think anybody believed my determination to leave at the time so I think everybody that was there that then found out what was going on was very expecting that this would probably blow over or it would all be all right and I think I was probably the only one that held that determination to get away and and, and you pulled through uh, it, it you know yeah, got, never looked you, back and, yeah. and I really did never look back and it was um, oh, that's so good I think I think the thing you, you've got to re- I think the thing I always think about it was that was the that was not for me the first step of separating it was probably the last one that oh, I had I made my mind up the ma- that time I woke up six seven months beforehand where in my head I was done and I released myself and that was the first step and this was the last one but I think for anybody in this situation and, and just take the narcissism out of it for her it was probably the first and so obviously after after you had said the words and it had all sort of been decided and you'd made your decision so what were the initial divorce proceedings like how did you go about sort of managing the children at the same time uh did you tell them straight away and did you sort of start going straight to solicitors straight away or was it was there a sort of uh, intermediate time where you sort of adjusted to the the decision I think this is probably the point at which I realized it wasn't going to be anywhere near as easy as I had hoped she she almost did not accept that I was leaving. So we, initially, we after we had a bit of a rage, and then it was a bit quiet. And then I think she thought that she was going to be able to get me back in. So she went on a bit of a charm offensive, for which I was I wasn't cold, but I was not receptive to. So she then wanted us to go to therapy. Now I wanted us to go to therapy to talk about, because I hoped that this therapist would almost mediate how we would handle the kids, how we would tell them. She didn't want to tell the kids. We came up with this ridiculous story as to where, you know, where I was, um, why I wasn't in the house. Did you move out straight away then? Yeah, well, my stuff was thrown out in Midnight. <laughs> so I lived with my parents for a bit. And then I went and lived in uh, my grandmother's house. She'd recently gone into hospital, so I went and lived there for a while before I sort of so- sorted out something more permanent. But she, um, I think she fully expected me to, to come back. So we went to therapy and, and I think it, I remember me saying to the therapist that she doesn't, she's not coming for the same reason as me, but the therapist saying, but, but that, that will be, I will deal with that and we can, you know, mediate that. So I wanted us to talk about how we would handle the children, but I think she thought we were going to go and the therapist was going to say, you're depressed, you know, you, you're or you're mentally ill and that's why you've left. Did not go according to plan for her. And so very quickly, she refused to go anymore after a few oh, sessions. right, OK. So she, um, she wasn't I, hearing the answers that she wanted to no, hear. No, so she turned, so she, you know, then that's the thing when asked us when they didn't get what they want, they, they tendly tend to cut that whatever it is off person system whatever it is so so then 
I can't quite remember where we got to in this. It might have been February, March time. Um, we then agreed to go to mediation to try and sort out how we would handle money and kids. Um, by this point, she was using the children all the time. So she was um, uh, not not being... For, for, she was hiding behind I'm doing it you know for the children we mustn't tell them um I'm not having them having two homes all this kind of thing super super controlling Mm -hmm. and from my perspective I was trying to go along with her to get her to cooperate um in, in and I was trying to get her to talk about it with the therapist and then in the in mediation but she was on a power trip and the children were the ultimate way for her to control, to punish me, to withhold from me. So she would, she was being difficult. She wouldn't agree for them to to see me on an equal basis. There was always an excuse. There was always an excuse why not. She would cite routine, and I think this happens to a lot of couples when they split up. Is I think there's a a myth that you can there is. You mustn't let the children know and you must, you know, one parent must have them and one parent must leave. And usually I think it's the guy. Whereas actually there's a bit of, again, social conditioning that that's the way it's going to be. Whereas actually you're going to, it's not going to be the same for your kids. If you're going to split up, there is change. And to be honest with you, you're you're physically separating. Obviously the children have to uh, have time with both parents. Totally, totally. I think we ended up with me trying to usher us into initiating the the formal separation stuff. So money, houses, where we're going to live, how we're going to manage the children. And I think she was very much on a that that path of use the kids to get money and things and also emotional revenge on on me. So she was withholding withholding access to the point where I mean she knew how much I love them she knew that I would do anything for them and so I think she knew that she had me literally over a barrel where I would do I was so missing them so much and seeing them so little that that I let my guard down on on the other side of of things if you like and so we went for quite some time with me just battling and again now in hindsight it was the narcissism thing so she was moving the so she would say well you can see them equally if we do this so you would do that and then the goalpost would move and so you would go okay now I've got to do this oh we've done that now I'm going to say nope the goalposts get moved again and so she was I was being played yeah is it and so this went on for um we went to mediation and I went into mediation wanting to talk about the kids first and she wanted to talk about money first and was using the children to steer the money stuff. Um, and this went on and, and, and she cle- she didn't take it seriously. She was she was it was all very much. I think her expectation was that I should provide everything in mediation, that it was all really about what I could give and what yeah. she could have. And not really about look. This is the reality of the situation you're in. And I remember the the mediator very much going, "This is what you're asking for is not realistic. This is what you've got, and two plus two does not equal five. Yeah. Um, and I remember after that sort of meeting, she then emailed and refused to go anymore. And sure enough, then 
the solicitor's letters started arriving. So she she initiated the sort of legal process in about uh, maybe October time, um, at which point um, she started making ridiculous you know, financial demands that were just we, we were ridiculous, unachievable. And of course, you know, a, a solicitor is only as good as the, their client and what their client tells them. So whilst I think her sister really did behave quite quite badly um even just not really being very well informed this one solicitor perpetuated what ended up being two years of messing about cost us both a fortune in legal fees and actually resulted in her walking away with less than what we were originally talking about in mediation because so much money had been spent on this on this legal process of course she will never see it like she will rewrite it and say that it was me and and has sometimes you know claimed it in the past in text messages and things so all I wanted to do was be it to be fair I sort of had an idea of how we could split it up equally and fairly whereas I think she was very much believing that she was entitled to x y and z that it was her and she was entitled to it because I had wanted to leave and I was not entitled to anything because I had wanted to leave. And we're talking about money and kids. And it's probably quite a common mindset. And I think one of the one of the trigger words I have now when people talk about this kind of thing is the word entitled. No one's entitled to anything. No. Children yeah. are entitled to be looked after by their parents and to see their parents equally if that can be achieved. But I think that's where entitlement ends. Um, and, and, and it gets banded about, doesn't it? I'm entitled to X amount and I'm entitled to X percent of that. And, and no, you're not. But, but I just all I remember was it was all driven by I'm entitled to this because of, of this. And, and I get it even now where um, I'm on 50 percent pay because of the COVID stuff. So I cannot pay um, the maintenance that that we agreed in our court order and say, I've explained why and I've given the evidence of why and she is raging against me through a solicitor because she believes she's entitled to it and, and entitled to it because it's my penance for leaving her. She sees it as this, I must pay this money, it's my fine, if you like, for <laughs> leaving. It, uh, two, it was about two years from separation to divorce. Um, within that, she always refused to achieve a 50-50 split of the kids. It, it would have been very, very easy to achieve between us. It certainly would have been the setup that they were used to when we were parents in the same house. I was a very, you know, I was a school run dad on, on days off. I was always really involved in their lives. So they were really noticing the difference. We never had a routine, a fixed routine, which, which we should have done, which I should have pushed for, not that she probably would have agreed to it. And so I went through periods where, you know, she would, she would land grab time with them. So we had a shared Apple calendar and dates would appear in there where she'd herself she'd have she'd give herself if you like the the children for two weeks and she just believed that it was hers to to take so she would allot herself time she would organize things without discussing them she would do things it it was nuts and so we ended up in this position where when we came to going came to the final sort of court appearance she was claiming that I should be paying money every month because I wasn't seeing them equally so the the UK law basically says that no child maintenance is owing if 
parents do parent equally. This is one of my biggest bugbears, I think, with the legal system is that there is a direct association with the amount of time each parent sees the children and money. And, and it just causes parents in divorce to behave badly and to withhold or, or refuse to cooperate with regard to access because so, it, it's financial gain. So even if you don't share so so for example your ex she kept the children in her care as much as she as she could so that she could get money in the future i would make that accusation yes wow that's that's crazy and 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 it, and there are no sort of like loopholes or stipulations in the law which mean that if the parent is withholding uh, their children from the other parent that that still doesn't count even so, in the legal system so so yeah the, the legal system says that um that you've got shared 50-50 responsibility. Now, I think we touched on this right back at the beginning, but women get it by default, mothers get it by default, men get it if they meet certain criteria. Um, so men do not have equal equal rights to women as fathers, as far as the law is concerned, really, because men have to meet more criteria to have the same rights as women. But when you do have those same rights, no, it's not really acceptable for a, for a mother or a father to do that. But if you want to challenge that, it's a court application. There's legal fees. It's going to take three to six months to fight that. Um, it, it's not very easy to do anything about it. It's not a criminal offence. Um, so whilst it's not legally OK, it's also very difficult to do something about it. Um, and everybody tells you that once you come to a financial agreement, that the child access thing will become easier because that's the way it is. So I think. You know, if I had my way, it would be a criminal offence because yeah. you've got to have a detail, otherwise people will do it. And the system condones it and people go along with people behaving badly to get to the other side, if you like, to get to the end of the the light at the end of the tunnel, which is which is what happened to me. And so she she made a claim that because we were doing, I don't know, 60, 40 percent parenting, if you like, because that's all she would agree to. And because I was so desperate to see them, I would take that. Um, yeah. And so we came to a, a financial agreement in court where I would pay a certain amount of money in something called global maintenance. So you have child maintenance, which is for children. That's only actually payable if you don't do 50-50 parenting. You have something called spousal right. maintenance, which is what an ex-spouse gets paid so they can live if, they, if, it's, if it's decided that they need that. Um, and then you have something called what I'm paying, which is global maintenance, which is a, a replacement for both. And it's paid, we agreed that it would be paid for a, for a fixed amount of time. Now, the day after we left court, she contacted me to totally rearrange the child arrangements and we went 50-50 the day after we left court. Wow. So that, that, that doesn't say that they really shows money. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. Yeah. So we'll, I'll move on to the next question. And throughout the divorce, like you said, you had to support her financially. Did she have yeah. a job at the time that you were you yeah, were getting divorced did. or...? Yeah, no, she did. So she she worked she worked part time. Probably this was another bone of contention with me was 
she worked part time because she didn't want to work full time. It wasn't to do with childcare. We had ample provision between my parents and 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 the the work style of my job. So it, it was always a lifestyle choice again that she demanded and that she felt she was entitled to. Right. I remember her always saying, "Oh, I can't possibly work." Um, full-time um, it'll be far too tiring and I was thinking well I work full-time and I do all this parenting as well that you that, that you do as well you do as well and then you're claiming that so that was always a bone of contention with me I guess and something that, that I resented and so in 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 divorce when she was claiming that she couldn't possibly work more than 20 hours a week I think it was at the time therefore that's why her earnings are what they were that justified her making a financial claim against me um there was all that and I remember at the time because she was being so difficult with child arrangements that I was taking small amounts of unpaid leave to allow me to guarantee I would be around when she would agree to me having the children and as part of that, I remember the female judge, and this has always annoyed me, was we were in a courtroom and these two arguments were being made. And the judge looked at me and said, why are you taking unpaid leave? And I said, you know, the answer was to, to see my children when because things and I remember her saying, but that's quite a significant salary drop and you should be working full time. And I remember thinking, why? Why is that being said to me? Yeah, and, and she's not to perfectly her. Capable five days a week full time and she's choosing not to and you're not saying a word to her and that has always stuck the inequality of that has always stuck in my mind that why is that okay and why and I have always felt it was because I was as the as the man in the relationship I was expected to work full time because that's what men are expected to do well I mean that that just highlights the the stigma of it's the man that has to be the provider yeah one of the things I've I've said before is I think sometimes it, it suits dare I say women to play at the, the 1950s housewife um in those scenarios because there's financial gain to be had and, yeah. and and I'm not saying if the roles were the other way around that men wouldn't try that stunt either and I'm also know that there are men that will mess about with child arrangements to to financially punish their ex as well so it's not so there is an inequality about it I'm not saying it's just but this that is way just around. from your experience yeah yeah this yeah. is how it, it came across to me and certainly I was I was looked the, the judge looked over her half moon glasses at me in the courtroom and judged me for being having time off work to see my children whereas didn't say a thing to her. That's really interesting. I mean I mean that just that just says it all I think all of your issues with the fact that the system is rigged to women is is that that point uh, explains it perfectly. Yeah, I think it's a system that is outdated. Um, and I think that it, uh, too many people accept it. I wish, it, ha- had I had my time again, I would have issued proceedings for a child arrangements order right back at the beginning to go 50-50. I felt the risk was too high at the time that I might end up worse off um, in terms of child access Um I wouldn't have done and 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 I've now because I know we do now have a child arrangements order that says that we do it 50-50 because of what happened after we got divorced which we can talk about in a sec but so I think in hindsight I would have gone child arrangements order right back at the beginning then talked about money because it would have changed the money issue yeah um, 
and and I think that's the biggest mistake I made and and what I would certainly be advising anybody to do right back at the beginning is get your child arrangement sorted because you need to take that financial weapon out of the equation if you can and, yeah. and don't let don't be fooled into <laughs> into thinking <laughs> that, that it won't be and you do and you get plenty of parents that split up that that would never even dream of not letting their children see their each parent equally. Um, but unfortunately, the system does allow for the uh, that abuse of the system, if you like, and the rules. I, I mean, it's just a shame because it's, you know, obviously you had to endure all of this, but it's your children also had to deal with the, you know, not seeing you as much as they saw your ex. So that's, that's, a, that's a shame for them as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I dare say my, that our children are scarred from it. Um, I remember there was times when she she wouldn't let them spend a school night with me. Um, she uh, or, or she would, you know, award herself ten days in our joint calendar, um, and me too. And um, so I remember, you know, dropping. Children, the, the kids off at the, at the school and I mean, it's etched in my memory that we went through a whole year plus where our youngest would cling to me uh, oh, that's such a and shame. the school teacher would have to drag her off me at the school at the school door if you like classroom door into class and I sincerely hope that she, that that our daughter has forgotten that but it's it's etched in my memory and and it was purely because she knew that that she wouldn't see me again for 10 days and, and she used to complain why are we only spending two nights with you and 10 nights with mum it's not fair and and you and I and I always stood by that never criticizing my ex and never blaming my ex to the children and so I used to have to make up excuses and lie to them for the reasons and say it was my work or whatever um and so yeah it was horrendous I've seen so much trauma to them um because of this um bless them and it it's it's so wrong and I and again that's one of the big parts of what I'm trying to do is I don't want children it shouldn't be okay for children to go through that it's very easy to stop that kind of thing and why does the system allow that through general apathy or a lack of um, modernization if you like because it's quite old-fashioned I think it just like I've said it tends to support the mother and society definitely does Um, and and when, when you've got a parent that uses their children I think when it's a man doing it, society is very judgmental. But when it's a woman doing it, there's always seems to be this get out of jail free card. They seem to have a, a green card to do it because everybody expects a mother would never do anything but the best for their children. Yet a father wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, that is just that is just fundamentally flawed and absolute. It's sexist. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. So and then how did you get? The, like the brunt of the narcissism during the divorce once you stopped being her supply did you still sort of have the negative effects of her being a narcissist or was oh, it yeah probably worse than probably worse than when you were in it and you were a supply um because you it was like a constant narcissistic rage and bear in mind she doesn't realize she is one the behavior isn't conscious and these behaviors have always worked for her throughout her life not just with me so it was a torrent of rage all the time 
it was never so whenever she didn't get what she wants she would rage i mean the the text messages and the emails and the the literal bile that i that i've got in my you know saved folders is is horrendous and and to be on the receiving end of that it was i mean people often say hell hath no fury and and genuinely that's what it was like um yeah what led me to to understanding the narcissism so so when when we were going through the divorce process and afterwards like i said the goalposts were always being moved you could never win the argument yeah. uh, you could never reach an agreement unless it was unless you agreed with the first thing she suggested right back at the beginning you would never reach an agreement so um it was it was infuriating and tireless and you would spend hours um as a sort of wordsmithing these emails trying to be trying to have no points of information if you like and yeah um it it, it never worked um and then what happened was about six uh, six-ish months after we came to our financial settlement in court which after which thing and we had been doing 50 50 parenting in fact some of the months i'd been having them more than her she declared that she wished to go and live in another country uh, in Scotland. Oh, wow. And so, and I immediately said no, because it came, I think it, for me, it came from a point of you've made a claim that you have to stay in Cambridge. You made a financial claim against me and I am paying a fortune to you every month so you can stay. And here you are now wanting to take that fuck off and take the kids away and yeah changing knew, the goalpost. yeah and, and she had come up with this grand plan of how it would be so easy for me to see the kids um you know i'd be able to see them all this kind of time and she was going to be so great and she was she would of course bring them down and she would etc etc and, and one thing i had learned is it was bullshit because i knew she would never do that why she has never once ever managed to achieve that so far so it, it was almost like yeah. that jam tomorrow and I was fed up of waiting and then, and I knew she wasn't capable of cooperating on that level and it was just just a lie to get what she wanted and I knew if I'd let her go um she wouldn't have brought the kids on every weekend it was what she was what she was proposing was logistically impossible even if she had you know come good on her promise she would never yeah. have achieved it it would have, been she, too, would have been too hard. Absolutely. So I said no. And then we went through the different stages of, of a narcissist. So you went through the being really nice, trying to get what she wants, being all sweetly, sweet and nice and kind. And, and I kept saying no. And she would keep emailing me and um, trying to convince me. And it was all very, um, all very persuasive. But it yeah. sounded great, and, and clearly to an out, you know outside looking in, it probably looked very reasonable, very well thought out. And I kept saying no, and then she tried to get me to go to mediation about it, and I said I'll come to mediation if we're going to talk about how we get around you staying. And she would like yes, 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 and so you know I agreed to go to mediation. And then it became quite clear before the first meeting that she was only wanting me to go to mediation to discuss her going. And I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I'm not discussing you going. Um, it's, it's not happening. It's not happening. Um, and so, and then the rage started again. And so she made a court application. And this is, 
as part of this process, I became incredibly stressed. And, and in terms of trying to deal with her, it became impossible again. And she was then started messing about with me seeing the kids and she became difficult about right. where, you know, the child arrangements thing. And we were back to that, you know, she wouldn't she wouldn't cooperate. And it became clear that in the legal proceedings that she so she started to engineer her claim her basis for going which was they only see me for seven days a month therefore we could easily achieve that if she went and she started to engineer that but when we got into the court proceedings part of the court proceedings was that the social services got involved now that's oh, fairly, wow. that's fairly normal i should say okay all right, all right it's, it's called CAFCAS. that's fairly normal where the, the court appoints third party social service to talk to the children to formulate a report on what they recommend is best for the children um so what i did was um put in a counter application for a child arrangements order to stop her constantly messing about with access to the children and to come up with a fixed arrangement that would give us 50 50 basically a set of rules of how we would poke parent equally so we kind of had they were joint applications that were then put together and what happened was when when the the social worker came she had been to see her first and I think she had had a very rosy picture painted to her about how great we co-parented and when the social worker came here I, I shot it down and I not intentionally I didn't go she didn't tell me what had been said but clearly she spent 45 minutes with her and about three and a half hours with me because I, I got to that point where I told my story a bit like I have today and she produced some of the spreadsheets of days that my ex said that the children had spent with her. Not only was the maths wrong, I went through and looked at it and said, that's that's a lie. Oh, wow, okay. So she had actually been she doing been everything lying. doing yeah. everything she could to just get what she wanted. Absolutely. And the social worker said, well, well, okay. I said, well, I can tell you that those dates are wrong. And I can, pre I can prove it right now without, I can show her the emails where the dates were wrong, but I've got my, my um, phone out and found pictures of the children with us on days, you know, in their pajamas on days when she claimed they were away with her. And so this was the first, first time that somebody saw the lies. It, right. it felt, felt like I was vindicated at last. Somebody else saw the lies. Someone so, understood it as well. Yeah. So we talked a lot about it. Um, and uh, the when we finally got to court, the court report came out and um, the extent of the lies was all uncovered by the social services where the, the caseworker where she had clearly the judge I, I brought up in court that she was talking to the children all the time about it she was uh, it was inappropriate and the, the judge said neither of you are to talk to the children about it and clearly she continued she 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 just it was a lie too far and 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 for the first time ever somebody had seen it all and so it all fell apart after that and she had to withdraw the application and she agreed to the child arrangements order um and wow. that and then we had then we had an order that said 50 50 parenting this is how you do it um fixed pattern um i mean that's not to say that your worries are over when that happens so she still thinks she's the dominant parent she still makes decisions without consulting me 
um, she she breaks it whenever she can. It, yeah. It's almost like she's on a mission to do it. So she 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 doesn't respect it, and, and she does she she sees it as still that you know she is more important than me. Um, well, that's okay. I can I, I you know of course I get the right to do that and, and that's a that's a bit of a battle so for certain people that think that child arrangement order is the end of their woes it's not but it certainly gives you a written set of rules by well, yeah which... I mean I've, I feel like when you're when you're trying to battle with someone over something so so complicated it's good to have you know literal set of rules <laughs> totally and and this is where the this is how I discovered the narcissism thing was I was incredibly stressed um suggested that I went to a a certain type of therapist to talk about to to try and work come up with coping strategies and after telling my story it she said it have you considered that your ex might suffer from narcissistic personality disorder and like most people was like well I don't really know what that was I mean she's quite selfish but actually she then explained it to me and and, and we talked about it a lot and, and, and I've read books and she suggested and she we talked about all the behaviours and it was that was the light that was the true light bulb moment of everything. It explained all of the behaviour. It is all wow. so so stereotypical, everything, even down to the lying in court, the moving of the goalposts, the every, every single thing goes back to that. It's like a set of instructions if if you like are written about how they work how they operate which which for me was a was the second probably massive life bolt moment of this entire relationship one was deciding i wanted to leave and this was the second one and it gave so much reason and it was a a massive relief for me because suddenly i understood why yeah and and, and it probably made you sort of you know validate all of those reasons and your decision to leave it was like no this was the right thing to do Absolutely. And it, and it just, it was a bit like being, it just, it gave us all the, it gave me all the underlying um, background info for everything that had always felt a certain way. And I knew there was, it, it, it felt a certain way, but it then suddenly explained why it had always yeah. been so frustrating or why I could never win an argument, why she would never cooperate, why she lies. And then, ga- and, and the gaslighting is the, one of the major things that narcissists do. And I, just answered that so the you had said one thing and now you're claiming vehemently that you didn't say it and I can even prove that you said it and so by the time we got to court I knew this you've got to be really careful though because bear in mind a narcissist's first form of defense is to accuse other people of their own behavior so imagine you know if you know that someone's claiming somebody's a narcissist so who is the narcissist it's hard to find out (laughs) you've got to be really careful I think so when I told my barrister that I said look you can take this or leave it and I'm sure you've heard this many many times before but I I think she's a narcissist I can go through and prove it to you I've got written examples of all the behaviors um, and I can put them all together for you and you can take it or leave it and she said okay that's right and so I because this has been going on so long, because I'd had so much stuff in print, I, I can show the major narcissistic behaviours of my ex in her own words. Yeah. yeah in, in emails and, and, and text messages where she will totally demonstrate the behaviour in a very obvious way, um, which, which was 
which was the kind of the release from that am i going crazy is it me why is this so difficult and then all of a sudden you could you got some explanation yeah absolutely wow um i mean and and i feel like as well when when you're in a normal relationship you wouldn't like have evidence against one another that's not a normal thing to do but when you're actually going through like a divorce or something you actually have to for the sake of like the court and like how you how you go about it yeah I mean I think you you end up I mean probably my nature is to be a little bit forensic about things anyway but so I probably have ended up compiling stuff forensically in that way I think what what was quite difficult was if you bear in mind you know it's your life it's your your, it's your divorce there's only you're only going through one at the time whereas that solicitor that you've got that lawyer is is going through 10 20 they've got 20 however many clients they've got so the easier you can make it for them um the better the results you'll probably get so i know some people go oh my solicitor got it they didn't write that letter and they didn't kind of get what i was saying going but they're not living just your life they're they're living like i said I started going down a road of being very clinical and forensic about um, evidencing things and making it as easy as possible for the solicitor to to have the information and and to see what they need to see. Um, And and also so you can be truthful. So I'm not making this up here. I can show you that they were that they lied or that they didn't cooperate for me to have the children on this occasion. I, I can evidence it. And so you you make it so much easier for a court to see. And I think when we went to court, the, the application that she had made, which was 100-ish pages long. And, oh, wow. But there were contradictions and lies within it. I mean, what amazed me was how poorly put together it was and how bad the lies were and how she contradicted it. So firstly... I was able to get, well, in paragraph 29, whatever, you say this, and in paragraph 35, you say the opposite. So I was able to evidence from that, and I think our submission ended up being something like 500 pages, and there were so many (laughs) many inconsistencies and contradictions that it just just went on and on and on. Um, And because I was alive to it now and knew, it it was almost, for for the first time ever, empowering for me. Um, but it but it just released me from from the constant battling against something that I didn't know why I was battling yeah, against yeah, it. and it the, gave the, me reason yeah absolutely all of this has been so interesting to hear your side of it and to hear your experience of it and I'm sure like, we'll obviously go into loads more detail further on in the podcast but I suppose just as a way of wrapping up what would be maybe your piece of advice for someone who's starting this process who thinks maybe they are dealing with a narcissist or even just with a tricky person how how would you tell them to go about it in the best way possible I think you have to be for once I think you have to make the decision for you so I know like I did a lot of people get caught up in I've got to stay for the children that's yeah. not that's dysfunctional children know you're not happy what kind of example are you setting to your children what relationship example are you giving them that you live in an unhappy that that you should stay in an unhappy relationship oh yeah so so that's the first one is I think you, you've got to think about yourself you have to be happy because if you're not happy probably not going to be very fun for them so that's the first thing secondly i think you have to try and make it as kind as possible leave anger anger has to be left at the door it doesn't help your children if you've got children it is all about them they they have a right to see you both and i think you should be maintaining 
what you did before or doing better not worse there's no excuse for doing worse yeah. people people will find excuses to justify why they're not cooperating and it is selfishness that drives people to do that and you're lying to yourself let alone let alone your kids so you've got to do it for your children and you've got to work hard for them don't try and get one over on each other yeah. it's not about that this is your children and finances are not your way to exact revenge in fact you shouldn't be trying to exact revenge you need to get to an acceptance point as quickly as possible there is a cycle you go through and you'll be shocked and you'll be angry and you won't want to believe it and you have to get to that point where you accept it and you get on with it and you move on and the sooner you can get to that place the better and so I, I really do recommend therapy to help you get through that and to make your your divorce more um, ob- objective and civil if you like and not about yeah. the emotion but but it is all about you, your children you've got to do your best for your children and and stop you don't use them don't try and hide it from them be honest with them I think like we've said before I don't think kids really care about romantic relation young children care about the romantic relationship between their parents so they're not really aware of the romantic side between you. So what, what they actually care about is are you nice to each other? Do you get on? And, and so, yeah, it is a transition to homes, not, not parents not being together anymore. But beyond that, actually, they want to see you being nice to each other and getting on with it. And, and I suppose they want to see you happy as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so your expectation is you want that we want to be in a relationship together in the same home that's expectations we as adults put on ourselves but actually children I don't think have those same expectations and we upset them by putting that on them so we make them believe that we should be together and that it's really bad that we're not but actually you're just passing your own expectations onto them and that's that's how, how those expectations carry on through generations I suppose and if you're then dealing with someone that's difficult or and or a narcissist, is, is you have to be firm and, and you have to be be fair, but be firm. If, it, if they're a narcissist, they're going to act like a toddler who's had their toys taken away and you will never get past that. So you'd be fair and you'd be firm. And, and I would always now say, go and get, apply for a child arrangements order or come to an agreement, try and try and mediate a child arrangements agreement between the two of you and get it rubber stamped by a court and if the other one of the parents is refusing to cooperate to that get make an application to court and get it done because it will that's my biggest regret because it allowed her to then manipulate so much of the rest of the process for money yeah get the kids sorted before you talk about money and don't be blackmailed by the children with the children for money separate the two and and I think you do the kids first and I genuinely think that's the way it should be there should be a complete disconnect between the two um and then if you are dealing with a narcissist or just a really difficult person is just don't 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 get drawn into the arguments they want to argue it's them arguing with you is part of them having revenge on you and controlling you and they love it and they want to be angry with you and they want to have a fight with you and step step back from that um and and rise above it which is really which is really difficult to do i'm sure whoever's listening is going to appreciate all of your words of wisdom and sharing your experience thank you to everyone who has been listening today we've covered a lot of topics regarding the divorce process and how that how that goes about and the next time we'll be covering all things narcissism in as much detail as we can 
That's it for this episode of the Dadvocate podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you found it interesting and helpful. If you did, it would mean a lot to me if you would please hit the subscribe button and take a moment to leave a comment. You can find out more about my experience along with some thoughts and dad jokes on my website, dadvocate.co.uk and also on my Instagram, Twitter and YouTube accounts at dadvocateuk. Please feel free to comment and share your story. I would love to hear it. And if you would like to be involved, please drop me a line. Until next time, please take care.